This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, as your word is open, help us to see what you want us to learn this afternoon, and may your spirit um, keep our minds alive and alert to what you want to say to us, and help us to understand in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40. So the Bible says that in 1 John 4, verse 8, that God is love. Now, when the Bible says that God is love, what it really is saying that every motive and every purpose and the spirit of God is love. In other words, everything that God does is because he loves. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? Okay, so that's what God wants us to see is that everything does. So let me, there's a handout here, and look at your handout, and let me read this to you, and you tell me if this is about your father, and you tell me if this is a, is your father is a good dad or is a bad dad, is a good father or a bad father. Let me read it to you. Your father drugs people to unconsciousness, then when they are helpless, he has them stretched out on a table in which he then cuts their bodies with knives. Now, is that good or bad? bad. Let me hear you again. Is that good or bad? bad? Okay, already you guys seen it's bad, right? Right? Well, well. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. So, not necessarily. Okay, so what if I told you your father was a mass murderer who killed your mother? Then what? Is it good or bad? Okay, bad. Okay, what if I told you, with the same statement, I said to you, your father was a surgeon. I'm not done yet, right? <laughs> Who had saved your mother's life, how would you now feel about your father? Would you be touched? Life-threatening? Saved their life? So is it the action that defines who someone is? Only. Can you just say, is it only the action that defines who someone is? Some guy with a knife cutting your mom up on a table, right? Is it the only, can you only rely upon the action to determine whether someone is good or bad? Can you only do that? No. You got to look at what? The purpose, the motive. So my next question has got to be this. What about the God of the Old Testament? And things that happen in the Old Testament, right? Are you following me? So the only conclusion is that we must come to the conclusion in our own minds that no matter what God does, whether we can explain it or whether we can or we cannot explain it, God has always got to be in your mind that God is love. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? He's got to be. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem in your spiritual walk with God. And as we learned this morning, if you have problems in your spiritual walk with God and you don't love God, then there's going to be issues in your life, right? And you don't feel loved by God, then there's going to be issues. And then that's when addictions come in to numb the pain of not being loved. So we have to look. Now we're going, we're going back to one of the root causes of why we don't love God. Why does addictions, okay, it's not that we need to stop just the addictions and the symptoms. We've got to go back, okay, we haven't been loved. Okay, why we haven't been loved? Or maybe we have been loved by God, but maybe we have not experienced that love of God, even though he loves us. Right? Does God love everyone, right? Does God love you? 
Yes? Do you always believe that God loves you? By faith, we need to believe, right? Amen? But then sometimes there's issues that happen in our lives and bad things happen to good people and things can happen to Christians that cannot be explained, right? Are you following me? That makes us ask the question, why? Right? And when you're asking those questions, why did I go through this? Why is this happening? What happens, Satan starts to play with your mind. If you don't believe in the foundation of God is love, Satan plays with your mind, and now he's making you question, is God really love? And that's when he gets to destroy. Yes, so you know, and you may know intellectually, but something has happened in your past where you haven't really dealt with it in your heart, where really you don't really love God, though which amount you do, say you do. And that's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. You're going to get a more clear picture as you go through this. It may um, not be so clear right now, but as you go through, you're going to see a little bit more of what I'm trying to share. A pastor shared his experience of himself, and he shared a story when he was a heartbroken 13-year-old boy. His parents were getting a divorce, and he remembers this look, his tears streaming down his cheeks as he stood on the front porch watching his father drive away from home for the very last time. And he said, and I quote, all these years I've been angry at God for that. I was mad at God for not keeping my parents together. I wasn't even aware of it. Now I see how it's been affecting my ability to trust and receive God's love. How can you trust and love someone you're angry at? And he realized he needed the healing. So we're going to look at God's love. So let's look at Matthew 22 to 36 to 40. Where is the love of God revealed? Notice the Bible says here. It says, Master, Jesus asked the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your, what? Heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the Ten Commandments reveal God's what? Character of love, right? So in other words, the Ten Commandments was given to us to show to us, to us how to love God, right? In other words, if you love God, you want to spend time with Him on His holy Sabbath day, right? If you love God, you're not going to take His name in vain. If you love someone, your wife, you're not going to cheat on her, Right? If you love your brother, you're not going to kill him, right? If you love someone, you're not going to steal from them. So the Ten Commandments is just showing what love actually looks like. And so God wants us to know what love looks like. Now, when a child can see the love in a father's command, it makes it much easier for that child to obey. In the same way, when we can see the love in our Heavenly Father's command or allowing some kind of tragedy for you to go through, it makes it much easier, right, for us to go through that trials. That's what love actually does. Now, Satan has been accusing God that his law and government is faulty and unfair. But this is simply not true. For the breaking of God's laws has not only forced us to build more prisons, but it also has forced us to put more bars upon our own hearts to protect it from getting hurt. God hates sin because it is the enemy of the sinner whom he loves. You see, if I have a friend who has cancer, then my hatred 
for that cancer, right, reveals how much I love my friend. So God's hatred for sin reveals how much he loves you because sin is the very thing that's killing us. And that's how much he loves you and me because he sees that sin is hurting the people he's created on this earth. So God's hatred for sin is simply his love for the sinner in whom the sin is seeking to destroy. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? Okay, what does God do to those whom he loves? Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, Hebrews 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he gives an easy life. What do you say? Is that what it says? The Bible says here, for whom the Lord loves, he what? He chases, he disciplines, right, and scores at every son whom he receives. In other words, whoever God loves, so who does God discipline? Those who he what? He loves. God disciplines those he loves, and he disciplines us by allowing pain and suffering to come into our life. You see, today we have a picture of love, a false picture where we like to look upon, down upon any type of discipline that happens. So any type of discipline, even if it's good discipline done in a, in, in a spirit of love and humility that's done for our children, we look like, wow, you know, you discipline your child, well, you're mean and you're cruel. And so we apply that to actually how God is like. Because if he allows discipline to happen into our lives, then we wonder, well, what's happening? Does God really love me? Right? Why is this happening to me? Does God love me if I'm going through this struggle? Does God really love me because these things happen? Does God really love me if my parents got that divorce? Does God really love me if my family no longer wants to spend time with me? Does God really love me if my children don't want to spend, to even give me a call during Thanksgiving? Does God really love me if my mother died of cancer? Does God really love me? My father never visits me. And so we say, because of things that are happening all around us, we make a picture of God, that God is a certain way because of things that happen. But knowing that from, by faith in his word, we must believe that no matter what you may go through, God is allowing that thing to happen because he loves you. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen? You may not experience that pain yet and heartache yet, but there's going to come a day in your Christian experience you're going to realize it that you know, you're going to go through hardship and trials and suffering. And you have to know without a doubt during that time that God still loves you and God is still near you. You know, we should never discipline our children in anger. We're told inspiration. In fact, we should take a time out in order for us to calm down and not our children. What do you say, amen? So parents need time out. Can I hear amen? Amen? And as we get time out, we need to discipline our children in love. You know, I'm, and I'm guilty, so I'm just telling you what I've done. And so when I've disciplined my, um, my daughter, I'm sorry, they're asking me to, uh, if people can move into inside again, sorry about that. If you can move in so people can have seats to sit on the ends, please. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, If we ever discipline in anger, 
we should always ask forgiveness of the person we've hurt. You know, I've always had to ask my daughter to forgive me for disciplining her in anger. And guess what? My daughter always forgives me. What a, what a beautiful child, huh? <laughs> That's something about children. They have a humble heart, and we need to become as little children, huh? Amen? So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Whom only does God discipline? Notice what the Bible says here, 12, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says here, If you endure chastening, God dealing with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. In other words, the reason why that God allows discipline to come to us is because you and I are his child. What do you say? Amen. We're his children, and he loves you. In other words, if you weren't allowed to be disciplined, that means that you're, you're bastards, the Bible says. Illegitimate cho- children, meaning you're disowned by God. But we are sons and daughters of God. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? So God wants us to experience that, that healing process of going to discipline. And he knows it because God, Father loves us, and Father knows best. You see, a father loves his child. And in raising his child, he takes more time in thinking things through than his child does. So when a child is running by the pool and, you know, he's playing by the pool and running really fast and it's all slippery, you know, the father in love is going to say to his child's son, if you don't, please stop running. And if you don't stop running, then I'm going to have to discipline you. So by saying that, do you think that the father hates his son by saying, I'm going to have to discipline you? Do you think he hates his son? Why does the father say that to his son? To protect him because he loves him, because he knows that what had happened, right? If he, something could happen to him, he could actually fall and he could drown, right? He just hit and drown. So, what happens then if he's running, Johnny doesn't listen to his dad, and Johnny's running, and all of a sudden he slips and he falls down, hits his head on top of the cement, right? And actually shatters his neck, right? And he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. Now, my question is this Did Johnny learn his lesson? He did, right? And do parents want children to learn their lessons? Yes, so that's good. Okay, he learned his lesson. Great, he learned his lesson. Do you think Johnny's ever going to be running on, he's paralyzed for the rest of his life, but do you think Johnny ever is going to run on that thing, that, that swimming pool again? No. But even if he could run, and say he was paralyzed from the top up, or whatever, or whatever, or this one leg, or whatever, do you think he'd be trying to run there on the, on the swimming pool again? He probably would learn his lesson, but what a hard way to learn a lesson, right? Wouldn't it be better and more loving for daddy to say, Johnny, please don't run. If you, don't, if you do run, then I'm going to discipline you. Isn't a, a lesser form of discipline that the father gives, isn't that more loving than the extreme reaction of running and falling on top of that swimming pool? So that's why in the Father knows best, Father loves me and Father knows best. In other words, God knows what's best for us. We may not see why, but God knows us and he loves us and he sees what is best for all of us. He's going to give Johnny a reason for refraining that he will understand. Father's love and discipline will save him from such misery. See, God doesn't discipline us because he hates us or 
um, or because he doesn't love us, but because he disciplines us because he truly loves us with all of his heart. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? amen. Let's go to Jesus on the cross. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 43. Matthew 27, verse 43. What, while on the cross, what did Satan tempt Jesus with? Notice the Bible says here. Matthew 27, verse 43. The Bible says... He trusted in God. This is what they said to Jesus. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So what was Satan giving a temptation to Jesus here on the cross? That what? If he trusted in God, in other words, if Jesus was a trust in his Father, God would have delivered him, right? But the fact that he wasn't delivered from his suffering is proof that God was not his Father, right? That he wasn't really his Father, like his father didn't really love him. That's what Jesus was being tempted on the cross. In other words, Jesus was tempted to believe that God didn't love him. And that's the temptation that Satan comes to each one of us now. That why are you going through all this suffering? Why are all these things happening to you? In the thick darkness that surrounded the cross, it hid the face of the Father for the Son. For on the cross, God was the hands of angry sinners as Christ became the innocent victim of their rage. Many Christians have asked, no, if I trusted in God, then why didn't he deliver me? I trusted in God and my husband still left me. I trusted in God and my parents still got a divorce. I trusted in God and my mom still got cancer. I trusted in God and I still lost my job. You see, Jesus is not the only one who had to suffer as the innocent for the guilty. But every single one of us has had to carry the sins and sorrow of this world also. You see, Satan goes around and seeks for those who are suffering because of the sins of those around them. And he whispers to them, why do you deserve such suffering in your life? Why did God allow this to happen, this to, happen to you? Maybe he doesn't really love you. Because of these false thoughts that people then become disappointed and thus angry with God. You know, it's interesting when I visit former Christians and former even Adventists as I visit them in a home, there's always something that happened. Someplace in their life, they've been hurt. Whether it was through their parents and they're raised in a church and they were hurt from their parents. Or maybe it was someone... And I'm sure some of us, every one of us here know of someone who's actually left the church or doesn't want anything to do with their families or something. There's something that happened in that home. There's something that happened in that church school. There's something that happened in that church where they felt they were hurt and the root causes, something happened where they, things that happened and really in the back of their mind, they're blaming God for allowing this to happen in his church. They're blaming God that something that happened in his church school. Somehow they're blaming God that something had happened in his church home, which they profess to be Christians. From his church family. Something had happened, and they were hurt by people within his church, and they're hurting, yes, at the people, but ultimately behind the scenes, they're angry at God for allowing these things to happen. And because of that, that's when the anger kindles, and that's why they want to leave the church. And that's why many never come back. And even if they do come back, 
unless they deal with this healing process within a short time, they're going to go back out. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? Matthew 27, verse 46. Notice the Bible says here. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cried to his Father on the cross, my God, my God, why? Why? In other words, do you think that Jesus was only pretending on the cross? Do you think Jesus was faking it? Do you think Jesus was putting on some kind of drama? Jesus doesn't believe in drama. What do you say, amen? Amen to that one, yeah, drama, amen. Jesus doesn't believe in that. He wasn't putting on an act. He really believed this, and he was crying from the depths of his soul. On the cross of Calvary, he questioned, and he questioned his father. In fact, this is the only part in the whole scriptures where he doesn't call his father, father, an intimate, close terminology, father. The first time he calls his father, God a distant term because he felt distant and he, he felt like his God, his father didn't love him. He was, he was being tempted. He was, his fate was faltering at that time. He said, God, why? He was questioning his father, why? Why is this happening to me? Father, why? Why am I going through all this suffering? Why have you separated yourself from me? Did this mean that his father didn't love him? Did this mean that God didn't love his own son? But on the cross, he felt that way. And Satan does the same thing to us. God loved his son on the cross. The father knew the heart of his son, and he knew that his son wouldn't be happy to go to heaven and see all of us lost for eternity. He knew that he had to... He saved the whole human race, but he knew that his son, if his son was to leave this planet, said, forget the human race, let them die in their sins, and I'm going to go up there to heaven, and I just can't, I can't handle this suffering, I'm going to leave this, and he had to go back to heaven. Throughout the ages of eternity, he would look back and he'd see every one of you, and his heart would be pained because of all the people were lost because he wouldn't go through that suffering. And the father knew the heart of his son, and the Father allowed the suffering to continue on and on and on because he knew that in the end, Jesus would have been happy to see you and I saved. What a God. What do you say? Amen? And he allowed that. So even though his son was crying out to his father, why? Just like Abraham with Isaac, he still pressed on killing his own son. And the same way when you go through pain and suffering and ask God why, it's because God loves you and knows what is best for you. You see, God knows that when you go through suffering, you're then fitted and changed for heaven, and thus your suffering then turns into blessings. You know, my family, I guess, had been blessed where we haven't really experienced any tragedy in our family at all, all these years. Until about two years ago, I got in a call from my sister to pray and that my sister's nephew, my sister's son was in, I mean, my, my niece's son was in the ER. It was a four-year-old little boy. 
And so I went to visit her after this event, and I visited my sister, and I went through her home, and I said, she was very much hurting. And I said to her, tell me the story, what happened? She said, we had went to and rented out this home for the weekend, uh, kind of like a beach home. And we're all having fun, and everyone was in a swimming pool, and we're all just having, just having a good time and eating, and you know, there's floaties all in the pool, and all the kids and the cousins were all swimming and playing around, and everyone was having a really good time. And then one of my, my nephew was swimming around, and he, was, he wasn't listening, so I took him out, and I put him on timeout, and I put him on the side there. And so... After a while, I thought about my son, so he was fishing on the cliff. So I went out to the cliff, and I went to see how he was doing. And as he was fishing out there, um, I saw he was doing well, and then I came back. And I came back, and I looked in a corner where my nephew was uh, lacing. I was looking around, and I couldn't find him. And so I started to panic and started crying out, Lacen, Lacen, where are you? Lacen. And so I was looking around, and I couldn't see anything, and go, Laysen. And finally, she looked in the pool, didn't see anything. And she went out to the cliff, and looking around, maybe he fell off the cliff, and looking, and crying out, Laysen. And everyone's looking for Laysen. She couldn't find him out there on the cliff. And finally, she ran out, and she went back to the house, and said, maybe he's in the house. So he ran in the house, and yelling out, Laysen, and looking up. And then finally, she went upstairs, and she went on to upstairs to the house, and then she calling out his name, and then finally, she went to the big picture window, and she, said she went to the picture window and looked outside the big picture window overlooking the pool. And there she saw Laysen floating face down in the pool. And she started to scream from the top of her lungs to her niece to go and grab him out of the pool. But she couldn't hear, be heard through the glass picture window. And I felt that I was there with my sister. I was right there. My sister were very, like, very close. I could feel her pain as she was screaming. Like, I was in that very house. I could just feel it. And there she was. Then she ran downstairs. And um, slowly, it seemed like forever, she said. And she finally she went outside to where he was and went to the swimming pool. And she swam and just grabbed him and pulled him out and put him over on the ground. And they couldn't see him because it had so many floaties around. They just couldn't see him. It's a four-year-old little boy. They called 911, started to do CPR on him. And her good thing, she's, a, she's an RN and had another friend that's an RN. And started working on him and working and working on Laysen. And it took 17 minutes before the ambulance came. Finally, they took him to the hospital. And they worked on him for two whole hours. This Laysen working on him and working on him and working on him. And after two hours, they came out and they said, I'm sorry, he's not going to make it. He's already gone. And that was the worst tragedy our family has ever experienced. And I'll never forget this. My sister it was two years ago. She just cried in my arms and I was holding her. And she said this. She said, why? 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 I was praying to God 
for that whole 17 minutes. I was praying to God for those two whole hours that he would save her life. But you know what? In the end, he did not. Why? Why wasn't he saved? Why couldn't God have answered that prayer? We had done everything. We had done everything possible and the right, correct things. But why didn't God save Laysen? was the cry. He's so innocent. Maybe today your life is full of darkness and sadness and you also wondered why. If this is you, then know that in the midst of your despair, your cries are welcome at the foot of the cross because Jesus also cried, why? What do you say, amen? amen? On the cross, he was hurting and he was in pain and he cried, God, why? My God, my God, why? And every time that goes out, Jesus can understand because he's been there. He's been where you're at. He knows what it is to be hurting. He knows what it is to, to die alone, to suffer. He knows all that experiences. And he cried the same cry that maybe many of you here have also cried. Why? What did Jesus cry out right before he died? Luke chapter 23, verse 46 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. What did Jesus cry out right before he died? Luke 23, verse 46. Notice the Bible says here. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, notice he's saying, not God anymore, he's saying what? Father. He's intimate again. And he said, in other words, Jesus faltered, but it did not fail. What did he say? Amen? So in other words, he trusted in the end. He believed his father. He believed the words of his father. That his father loved him and was with him. In the end, Jesus knew that his father was lying. What to happen to him was because his father loved him and father knew best. My niece who lost his son, after that, she wrote, a few months later, she wrote me an email. And I'm going to um, read you the email, what she wrote to me. So she was going through this whole experience of losing her son. And I'm going to read to you what, what it said. She said, From the day my son died until recently, I have been struggling with my feelings toward his passing. My world was shattered when he was taken from me and my grief felt unbearable. I've contemplated suicide many times since his passing. I prayed and prayed for forgiveness, peace, comfort, and guidance. Since that incident, I have been reading the Bible and praying more for comfort, peace, and most of all, faith. I started to read the books last night and all of this morning, and I know that I was led there for a reason. By the way, she doesn't go to church. I'm at peace now. I know that he did not suffer in his death and that God took him safely from this world without any discomfort. I know that my son had a purpose and that he completed what he was sent here to do, one of which I believe was to bring our family closer to God. You see, God doesn't discipline us because he hates us. He disciplines us because he truly loves us. She goes on and says, Today I cried not for my son, but because of the love I feel surrounding me. God is with me, and I can feel his presence. He has helped me through this difficult time. I am so inspired. I cry because his love is so unconditional and pure, and I am so unworthy. I finally have forgiven the people I tried not to be angry with. If it were not for God's will, he would have intervened and changed the outcome of my son's fate. 
One thing that stands out to me is that what my son recently told me, he knew what death meant to me. I would question if something died. Right before he passed, one of our baby chicks died. And I remember telling him, I'm sorry, honey, the baby chick died. He looked me straight in the face and said, without any doubt or question in his mind, Mom, the baby chick not die, it's sleeping. He is smarter than me at that time. And I think he knew something more than I did at that time. And now I know that his words are true. Nothing dies, they sleep. He has taught me that and so much more. Through him, my faith in God has been restored. His death has given me new life. We may not always understand why things happen, why good things happen, bad things happen to good people. You may not understand what you're going through right now and the pain and the hurt that you've experienced, but know that whatever happens, Father loves you. And Father knows best. So you believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? A pastor shared his story. And I quote, I came home and found a note on the kitchen table for my wife. She said she didn't want to be my wife anymore. So she had taken her things and left. I was devastated. I didn't think this could ever happen to me. And what was going to happen to my ministry? In the months that followed, I pleaded with God about our marriage. Lord, you can't let this happen and separate in divorce. I know that's not your will. You got to save my marriage. I prayed like that constantly, and I was convinced. I just knew that God was going to come through. But... God didn't save our marriage. And then it ended up in divorce. It was only just recently that I realized for the first time how my deep hurt and especially my disappointment with God over my divorce has affected my desire to pray. He's a pastor. I felt so let down by God. I got burned so badly when God didn't come through. And when you got them burned once like that, you sure don't want to get burned twice. I have no problem praying for others. I can encourage them to trust God. But when it comes to myself and my needs, it's so hard to pray. You can still go through the motions. I'm afraid I'll get hurt again. I know I should pray, so I force myself. But then I'm flooded with doubts. Does God really listen to my prayers? Does God care about my needs? I can't say I'm sure anymore. Beloved, God wants us to experience the healing, whatever has happened to us in our past. There are things in our lives that we've been hurt with. And sometimes, like our past, this pastor here, we don't realize what has happened to us in our past. And God, the Holy Spirit has to come in our hearts, he has to reveal to us, what is hindering my relationship with God? What is hindering my relationships with other people? Why is there conflict in my home? Why is it my family can't get along? Why can't my dad and I get along? Why can't, you know, as we as siblings, can't just spend time together? There's something that happened here. We have to go back to the root cause. 
and you can be still involved in ministry, and you can still pray like this pastor, and you can still encourage other people and do service and evangelism, but still in, be in need of healing. And once God does this in your life, then God's going to do powerful miracles, but we must first deal with our past wounds and dealing with the, the root causes of what has happened to us. See, there is a false expectation that God will always take the suffering away. See, what we Christians do is that we measure God's love for us based upon what is currently happening to us. If things are going well, that means that God loves me. If things are going bad, then that means God doesn't love me. You know, if I'm doing good, if I'm doing good as a Christian walk, if things are going great, God loves me, right? If I'm doing bad, then God doesn't love me. If I sell a lot of MAGA books, then God loves me. Can you hear amen, huh? If I don't do good here and sell a lot, then God doesn't love me. If I don't get enough Bible studies or whatever, God doesn't love me. But you know, God's love for you is not based upon what's going on around you. Can I hear amen, amen? And that's the problem we as Christians. We look at how much God loves me based upon what's happening to me and you in your life. But God's love for you is not based upon what's happening to you. God, well, how much God loves you is based upon what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. What do you say? Amen? And by faith, go back and believe that's true. And believe the word that says God is love. And believe that God disciplines those who he loves. And God loves and will allow you to go through suffering because you are his son and you are his, you are his daughter. And because he truly loves you and father loves you and father knows best. So you believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? That's why God allows you to go through all these things. Notice the quotation in your handout. It says here, The powers of darkness gather about the soul and shut Jesus from our sight. And at times we can only wait in sorrow and amazement until the cloud passes over. These seasons are sometimes terrible. Hope seems to fail and despair seizes upon us. In these dreadful hours we must learn to trust to depend solely upon the merits of the atonement and in all our helpless unworthiness, worthiness, cast ourselves upon the merits of the crucified and risen Savior. We shall never perish while we do this. Never. What do you say? Amen. So when you're going to trials, don't look upon the trials that's happening around you. When you're going to hardships. When you're being hurt and you're being wounded, don't look at what's happening to you. Instead, look upon where God reveals his love for you and focus upon the cross of Calvary. And that's where we're going to be experiencing God's love. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? What did God say he would never do? Jesus said he would never do? He said, I will never what? Leave you nor what? Forsake you. Jesus on the cross felt forsaken by his Father just for you and me. What a God. What do you say? Amen? Look at your handout here on Desire for Ages, page 687. This is what Jesus felt on the cross. The human heart longs for sympathy in suffering. You see, when we're suffering or going through hardship, we're longing for someone who can understand us, right? We're looking for somebody to be with us. We're looking for somebody who can relate to us. And I know a lot of young people, they feel all alone. Sometimes they feel so alone that they'd rather die and commit suicide than face the feeling of being all alone all by themselves. 
The pain is so intense to them of not only going through the suffering, but there's no one that understands them. That's why suicide happens, right? And that's why as Christians, God is giving you the message to give them what they do not have, which is unconditional love. What do you say? Amen? To be that person, to give that sympathy. Even Jesus on the cross, it says he was longing for sympathy. It said the longing Christ felt, this, this longing Christ felt to the very depths of his being. In other words, on the cross of Calvary, he was longing for someone to sympathize with him. On the cross of Calvary, he was longing for someone to understand him. Do you ever felt that no one understands you? You ever went through that suffering or going through that pain of your divorce of your parents and then you feel like no one can really relate to what you're going through? That no one really understands? That everyone's, no one can really be there for you? Jesus understands and he was there also. Continue on the quote, it says, the next quotation says, it was the hiding of his father's face a sense that his own dear father had forsaken him, which brought despair. Jesus was in such great despair and depression because it was actually depressing for him, but actually God brought him through by faith. His faith faltered, but he did not fail. And notice what it says here in the next quote. His whole... His holy angels were beside the cross. The Father was with the Son, yet His presence was not revealed. So He felt all alone through this whole experience. But He knew by faith that Jesus was with Him. Last year, I was on... About two years ago, I showed symptoms, and I got really sick, so I went on medical disability. And so... I was out of medical disability for almost a year and a half. And I was really sick. And going through this time, you know, not only being misdiagnosed and getting healed, not wondering if I'm going to be, get healed or have my physical health again, that was bad enough. But what really hurt me, I guess, was I was wondering if I ever was going to be ministering for God again. And so that hurt me from the depths of my soul. I was like, okay, not only that, but then we have to, you know, I'm not ministering anymore at this time. I'm not passing on medical disability. You know, even the pay was considerably less. So all these things was happening. You know, I felt like God had abandoned me. Intellectually, I knew all the right answers. But I was resting through this whole experience. Why? Why God? Why am I going through all this struggle? And I really believe, and I look back then, and actually I went through the experience, and I'll be, I remember this like pleading on the ground and this facing the dirt in the soil, and just my hands in the soil, and just gripping and pleading with God, please, God, please heal me. You know, after one day or one week or one, you know, you figure you're going to get healed soon. And then two weeks go by. Then three weeks. Then one month. Then two then five months, then eight months, then a year. Then I started questioning God, why am I going through all this suffering? Why am I going through all this pain? And it was like I went to my, I remember this, I just was crying out before God in my heart, and I was crying. I remember crying in front of my wife and my daughter, and there's a look of like helplessness, like they couldn't help me. I felt all alone. And I felt all alone through this whole experience. And 
It was a very painful, and I know I have experienced almost a PTSD from going through this whole experience of being abandoned by God. And it wasn't until after I got in of medical disability that God revealed to me that not only was I not alone intellectually, but what I needed to do was, now I felt like, okay, God is with me now because you know, I'm, I'm well now and things are going good, right, that we normally think. God had revealed to me that I need to go back through those painful experiences where I thought I was going through them alone and God had abandoned me. I need to go back then, and what I need to do was, I need to go back and by faith believe that Jesus was with me through it the whole time. So it was painful to do it. So every time I thought of going back when I was back on my property, I was outside pleading with God and just crying out to God, and I thought I was alone. I imagine when I was on the ground now, just going back to the whole experience, and every time I do it, it brings painful tears to my eyes. Like I didn't want to be there, but I, I said, God, will go through this. So I went there, and I believed that Jesus was right there, right next to me, holding me. And I went through every experience that was negative. And one by one, as I went through the experience, that Jesus would never leave me nor forsake me. He was always there with me. As I went through experience, every experience, God began to heal each and every one of those experiences. Why am I bringing it up? There's probably people here today, somehow you've been hurt. Somehow it was a relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. who hurt you, who lied to you, possibly cheated on you. And you built up a little wall around your heart to protect it from the other person. Maybe it was a divorce from your mom or dad that broke up the family and your heart was hurt a little bit more. Maybe it was you feel like your family is not there for you, no one understands, and Jesus needs to be next to you. Whatever experience that you've gone through. I'm going to read this quote. It says here, the last quote, it says, we are never alone. What do you say? Amen? We have a companion, whether we choose him or not. In the deepest darkness and solitude, he is there. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? In other words, whether you believe in God or not. God is there. In other words, when you're going to whatever suffering, guess what? God is still there whether you recognize him or not, whether you believe in him or not, whether you think he's, um, he's um, suffering with you or not, whether he actually is comforting you or not, God still is there and he loves you with all of his heart. What a God we have. What do you say? Amen? And if, you, if you've been hurt and you've been wounded, then I encourage you, you must go back and by faith believe if you didn't believe that God was there, you must go back and believe that God was there. So that whole time you're crying out, why to God? And as you go through that, God's going to bring healing into your life. I want to experience that deep down experience of healing with God. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your truth of your word that would, you would never leave us that you will always be with us. You never abandon us, but you'll always be with us. May this love of being with us, of what love looks like through this, heal us from our past. And Lord, may we go out healed and then help others to experience the same healing you've given to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.